Okay. Uh, Buzz, are you ready? Ready. Dan, are you ready? I was born ready. Ooh. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan, and welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, my name is Peter, and joining me today are my two good FC Dallas-loving friends. First, you know him, you love him, the king of TIFO, Dan Crook. Hello, Daniel. Good afternoon, Peter. I, I appreciate the, uh, the elongated tea in there, because cups of tea are a thing, too. Okay. I don't know what any of that means, but I will go with it. <laughs> you said TIFO. How should I have said it? Any way you want. Any way you want. Is that British humor that I just like went completely over my head? Yeah, probably. All right. uh, I apologize for that. Will you explain Benny Hill to me later on, too? N- no. Okay. No, we, we honestly don't get it either. It's just, uh, you know, you know, it's fun. What about Mr. Bean? Will you explain that to me? He's he's a bumbling fool who doesn't speak and just gets into some zany mishaps. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll think of more later on. Okay. And yes. uh, from the founder of ThirdDegree.net and from the Dallas Morning News, your hero and mine, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. Calling in today from my sofa because I'm already ready for USA-Mexico to be played. We are ready for USA-Mexico, aren't we? Yeah. Big game, big game. I'm fired up. Uh, are you fired up for this particular friendly? Because yeah, to, anytime... to me it seems uh, I'm a little annoyed by the fact that we're playing Mexico again. Well, anytime we play Mexico, I get excited. But uh, in terms of this particular game, um, I'm excited for the start of what looks like the... Uh, Youth movement with Team USA. I mean, Sergeant's in, Paxton's in, Desta's in. That's exciting. It's going to be fun. You don't think Pax is going to play tomorrow, do you? No, I don't. I don't think Paxton will play either game. But, um, you know, nonetheless, there's a bunch of young guys who are going to get some chances, and, and I'm excited about it. Dan, are you excited? I know you're not from here, and I know you don't give two squirts about the U.S. men's national team, but you got Nations League or something coming up, don't you? Or no, do you guys? Oh, wait, no, no, you don't. You've got European qualifiers, don't you, tomorrow? Yeah, some unimportant crap, yeah. Who do you guys play tomorrow? You guys being Ingerland? Uh, that is a good question. I should know this because I put it in outside the box. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Cheap crap. You about it two days ago. But you've forgotten yeah. already. Oh, we play Bulgaria on Saturday. Oh, excellent. Okay. Mm. Well, the good international break. Uh, okay, well, uh, speaking of international break... We did have some FC Dallas uh, action to uh, absorb because Ricardo Pepe, L Train, scored the winner today for the United States against aforementioned Mexico, did he not? He did indeed on a uh, sequence that was started by the other uh, FC Dallas player in that team, Nico Carrera. Uh, a nice sequence. Uh, it's good to see both those guys went 90 minutes, so positive, positive results for them and positive showing by both of them, so that's good. So that's the U-17. Is that a, a friendly game, or is that in a tournament they're playing in? Or uh, it's Yeah, it's a friendly game. They have the U-17 World Cup coming up at the towards the end of this year, 
So this is part of their, it's technically a tournament called the Four Nations Tournament. Um, presumably that means they're playing three more, two more times against two other teams, but uh, I don't remember who else is in that tournament. But um, yeah, so it's, uh, you know, against Mexico again, a quality team, quality opponent. So, um, you know, anytime you beat them is good. And they even had a tactical shift mid-game going from a, a back four to a back three. So that's, you know, good to see uh, that happen. Good to see Pepe get on the score line, get the winning goal. So it's all and positive. Wasn't Claudio Reyna's son Gio in that game as well? He was, and uh, well, the game wasn't on TV, but the scouting report I got was he still doesn't pass to uh, Ricardo Pepe, but um, you know, hopefully <laughs> Gio will eventually learn to pass the ball and it'll help the team. And he's playing in Germany right now. And, and so what I find interesting is that you've got a, a 17-year-old kid playing in Germany. You've got a 17-year-old kid playing for FC Dallas. And then uh, you mentioned Nico Carrera, who isn't playing at anywhere near that level, but he is playing for the U-17s. And you mm-hmm. can probably derive a lot of, you know, a lot of thoughts about that. What does that say about Nico? Um, how great is it that guys playing at disparate uh, levels can actually end up on the same national team? Uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, Nico's uh, in the FC Dallas U19s now. He just moved up to the next level. Um, he just was just in a Mexico camp. So by um, there was a tug of war there between the two countries. And by choosing this camp, he's basically saying he's going to go with the USA to the World Championship, which will tie him to the United States. But it does say something about his ability that he was and a tug of war between those two countries. And you're right, Gio was actually listed by um, for the Champions League by his uh, club, who's escaping right this minute. But uh, obviously, Gio Reyna is a phenomenal talent, really, really high thought of. Just the ball. He would pass the ball a little more. Yeah. I mean, he's used to being on the team where he's the best player. So, you know, that happens. Uh, eventually, he'll grow out of it, hopefully, and become a better passer. And, and if that's the only criticism I have of him, really, is that part. And it's mainly because I want him to give the ball to Pepe. So <laughs> maybe I'm a little biased, but. Uh, you know, well, it's a good, good team, exciting talent. It's uh, ironic that he's such a ball hog and a terrible passer of the ball because that's exactly what his dad was uh, excellent at. So Yeah, it's uh, the opposite, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It's, it's yeah. Uh, pretty interesting. Um, all right, boys. Well, it is once again a victory pod, our second in a row, as FC Dallas uh, did their business because a few weeks ago, all of us agreed that the uh, game, these two last games were absolutely must-wins, Houston and Cincinnati, and the good guys do it again. FC Dallas 3, FC Cincinnati 1, um, and oh, oh no, look who's still a danger. Andresic scores again his fourth goal in three games, three or four games, um, and uh, everybody loves them some snake now, don't they? Yeah, let's. Uh, you got to give him some credit. Uh, you know, he's done what he's supposed to do, which is score goals. Um, I think he's been fairly honest with everybody when a- they ask him about it after the game. He says, "You know, I could have had a couple more. I could be better." You know, so self analysis good, self awareness good, attitude good, positivity. You know, obviously there are aspects of his game we wish were better, but he's one of the components for why FC Dallas is on this hot trend right now. And, you know, he's going to continue to play uh, and start as long as he continues to produce. So uh, it looks great. Full credit to him. Dan, what is it you think it is about Andresic uh, that has got this team shifted around so much and, and scoring so many goals in such a, a short period of time, not just by him but other people, but there is some quality to his game about uh, doing what we've all been clamoring for years about a number nine is just stay in the damn box and go and, and make runs towards goal, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly that. Um, you can put balls in the box all day long. If no one is in the box to get on the end of them, you're not going to score. Um, you know, there's there's also the element of he can pull defenders away, um, especially being the, the, the big imposing guy. Uh, I think 
you know the, the players will really really appreciate him they've seen the growth they you know they obviously recognize that and and as well he's you know if someone goes down there's a little bit of pushing and shoving he's the first one there i think you know players respond to that uh it's that we've been talking about the idea of having uh a Daniel Hernandez type in the team to to fire people up, and you know maybe that's that is his role at the moment. Um, at one point after the game, somebody on Twitter dropped out a, uh, a a graphic that showed all of the opportunities that Andresic has had uh, in the box, and the immediate reaction was, "Hey, look, he's in the box and he's hitting goals." There was four goals in there. And I, because I'm that guy, had two takeaways. One was, oh, my God, look at all the amazing opportunities he blew uh, just outside the six-yard box. Um, But two, and maybe more importantly, was, wow, look how well and improved the overall team has gotten about getting the ball to that point in the first place. Because isn't that the thing that's really been dragging this team down, no matter who's been playing at the number nine position, just not even getting the ball to that point to begin with? That's the other aspect of what FC Dallas is doing really well right now, based on uh, two things. One is the formation change that where they went to the traditional 4-3-3 that gives them an extra man getting forward. And the second was the use of Jesus Ferreira as that sort of attacking free eight or ten or whatever you want to call him, taking advantage of the space that Cobra's creating underneath. And you're right, Cobra is getting a lot more chances than people have before. He's actually converting goals uh, at about .8 goals a game, which is much better than anybody else. Baji's at and Ferreira are both point, at .3. Um, and when you include like the amount of shots he's taking, uh, Andresic is only on about four shots per goal. So, uh, you know, and, and about and just about three shots on target per goal. So, you know, there, there is an efficiency there that's better than some of the other options to this point. Of course, we look at the game and we see in each game has been one at least where like, oh, you, you got to have that one, too. You got to convert those. But, um, you know, it's a it's a combination of multiple factors that are starting to get this team playing in a positive way. And one and all of them lead to this guy getting goals. And and, and we've talked a lot about the, the need for a nine for years here and how much of a difference it makes having a guy play as a nine. And we've talked before last year with Christian Coleman when he played, the team looks better when you have that real number nine up there. So, um, you know, I. He, he's not a $20 million nine, but, you know, he's the kind of nine this team can afford, and he's getting the job done better than anybody else right now. Yeah, uh, I don't even know if he's a million-dollar nine. But, it, no. it, but, uh, <laughs> but what I will say is is that the success he's had in these last few games, um, other points aside, it does continue to drive home um, the fact that if, if the team had a legitimate uh, – MLS top quality number nine, this team would look very different and perform very differently game in and game out. Yeah, I I think that's no question. I mean, we've felt for a little bit now that it's far more likely that they were going to develop a nine than they are actually able to buy one. And whether that would be Pepe, Ricardo Pepe at some point, or whether that'd be, uh, in this case, uh, Andresic, who took coaching and, and changed his game and has turned himself into a serviceable nine. You know, those those two things were far more likely than it is that they're going to go spend the money it takes to get a legit frontline number nine that we all would wish. Your Chicharito, you know, or, or somebody of that level or that stature, you, it's just not going to happen here. Like you say, you know, whether he's a, a million-dollar nine or a nine-dollar nine, he's, uh, you know, he's putting himself about uh, creating some, some opportunities to pull defenders away, get other players into the game, especially with Jesus taking out that higher 
10 like line to get him in. Um, really like the, the way they're pulling Baji inside and, and kind of lopsiding it for Barrios. Um, it goes back to what, what Lucci said at the beginning of the season of, uh, you know, creating opportunities, getting the ball into the box, trying to create havoc. You've got a, you've got a wrecking ball of a player who's just there to, to create havoc, whether he gets on the end of it or it hits him in the arse and goes to another player or, or whatever. It's, you know, it's kind of that, that chaos in the box that you need sometime. And yeah, we're absolutely with, uh, with a better finisher, a, a blast type or, uh, um, uh, Ibrahimovic or someone, you know, he'd have a hat trick a game because um, those are the sort of the quality of the chances that he's being given. So the one player that I really want to spend some time talking about is Brian Acosta's performance in the game against Cincinnati. I'm not sure I can remember a game where it was as clear as it could possibly be somebody was trying to get a yellow card over the course of 90 minutes. Um, the fouls, the uh, persistent infringement, the, uh, uh, the debating the referee, uh, the picking of fights, kicking the ball away. I mean... Seriously, he wanted to uh, get a yellow card, and I'm guessing that's because he wanted to miss the the game against Chicago versus missing the trip to Seattle. Is and do you think he just did that unilaterally on his own, or was that something they all agreed to from the outset? I didn't think to ask Lucci about that, but I think you're right. I mean, I, the, for him to get that many fouls was crazy. I, my assumption is that uh, because he's going to be traveling and doing the international thing. And it's like, he doesn't want to have to like fly back in and then immediately fly out to Chicago and like, Oh, let's just get it over with. Um, I, I actually wanted him to do the exact same thing, but a week earlier, because I thought the Cincinnati game was a perfect game for him to miss because you should, you could roll out anybody from the FC Dallas squad and beat Cincinnati. In my opinion, they're terrible. So, uh, you know, I, I'm applauding him doing it. You know, I, <laughs> I'll i have to ask somebody when I get a chance if that actually was a, a, a group thing. I, I bet it wasn't. I bet it was just a costume thing. And I'm going to get myself a card here and, and get a, a game off at Chicago. Uh, speaking of Cincinnati, uh, I don't know about the other – I don't know about the U2, but, oh, my gosh, the Roland Lama experience was on full display <laughs> – um, and uh, at uh, Toyota Stadium, and I, that is one dude I do not miss. Well, I've already been accused of being a hater, so I'm not going to pile on too much. But um, I, I couldn't agree with you more. He, he's a, he's a player that just absolutely frustrates me and tears my hair out, and and he does not play or dist- or display the kind of attitude that uh, Luchi Gonzalez prefers. So I am not at all surprised that they got rid of him as quick as they could, as soon as they realized Luchi was taking over. Let's just uh, establish one thing. As uh, people have also been accused of uh, being haters of as Denek Andrasek, the uh, snake can defend and will defend far better than Roland Lamar ever will. Uh, yeah, no, that's a totally fair point. Um, different positions, but yeah, he probably would defend even further back from a higher up position. Uh, no he doubt has. about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure he has. And it was nice to see Victor Yo again today. Um, although I will concede, as the president of the uh, Victor Yo fan club non-family member uh, division, um, 
when you throw Victor amongst a much weakened roster, his shortcomings uh, also uh, get to be a bit on display, and, and you begin to appreciate what you did get out of Victor when he was playing with a, uh, an improved roster back here in Dallas. Yeah, I mean, Victor's uh, is what he is. He's, uh, you know, in the prime of his career. He's he's developed as fully as he is going to develop. He works hard. He's a great locker room guy, great influence, a great teacher for kids. Um, but he's not going to break games for you. He's not going to make these splitting passes that are going to open up the action. You know, he's a quick ball winner, Quick, quickly get it to the guys that are going to make the difference. And if you don't have guys that are going to make the difference, Having a guy like Victor doesn't really necessarily help you any. You know, he gets the ball back and he looks up and he's like, okay, where are we going? And there's no one there doing anything. Then he's stuck trying to do something. And it's just, it's not his game. I mean, you got, you got to know what you are. And he does. And he plays within himself. And I respect him immensely. But um, you can see if you don't have any talent around him, he just can't do it himself. He's not that kind of player. Um, and so we step away from this game and we move into the uh, international break. Players are dispersed and, you know, obviously practice uh, coming up this week and today and, and into next week. They don't play again until the following weekend where they will travel to Chicago to play against the fire. Um, I, I'm assuming at this point uh, now Paxton will be back. Uh, uh, assuming everything goes well with the national team and he doesn't pick up any injuries, Paxton's back. Buzz, are you having any sort of uh, concept about what Lucci's going to do with Paxton once the national team spell is over? Uh, yeah, he, he'll he'll be back um, in the mix, if you will, between him and Cervania and Ferreira. Two, three guys for two spots, basically, at this point. You could maybe throw Ja'Cory Hayes kind of in that mix, too. Uh, as a deeper eight, um, but you know, Ferreira and Cervani are both playing so well that Paxton's not going to necessarily walk right in and steal that starting job back. Uh, a big factor this week, when we get back, when they get back, excuse me, will be is going to be based on uh, Brian Acosta. That's the big issue. He's missing for this game uh, suspension, as we just talked about. So there are basically three options that can happen. The straight swap is you put in Edwin Cerillo. Or potentially Corey Hayes, but he's not really a, a pure six by himself. Like Edmund Cerillo is the pure six. He can do it by himself. That's the straight swap. The secondary swap is to take uh, Cervania and drop him back and have him play as a single six and put Paxton back in with Ferreira. But um, Cervania only, has only really played as a pure six um, in, in, with the U20 team and with the academy, uh, you know, when they're when a team's dominating possession. So it, it's a little bit of an ask to make him go as a solo six with those other two guys in front of him. So that's that's a hypothetical possibility, but not one I think is super likely. And then the other, the third and final option is, is some other version of um, going back to Ryan Hollingshead of all people or your Ja'Cory Hayes or something like that. So... Um, you know, we'll, we'll, it, a lot of it is going to depend on how guys come back from their national teams, how their mindsets are, you know, and that's going to depend on how much they play or if they play too much or if they get worked into the ground, you know. So there'll be a lot of uh, the guys will come back on Wednesday, uh, I, I believe, next week, most of them. So Lucci will have three days basically to decide who's fresh, who's ready, whose mind is right and get a lineup out there. Is there any sense on your part that uh, Baji is the one that ends up getting sacrificed out of this to uh, reinsert Paxton? No, I don't think so. Um, because Santiago Mascara, Santiago Mascara is also back this week. 
So now you have two players uh, that are in that left wing spot. Um, I, I don't think it's likely, uh, you know, like last year I thought Paxton would be mostly a left wing this year, but um, that's not something we've seen a lot of. I think part of the part of the philosophy of uh, carrying over your starting 11 um, when you're performing really well is true for, for Lucci. I think he buys into that a little bit, but at the same time, if something really important tactically happens, he does have enough respect in the locker room that he can make a change. But Baji hasn't been. I, 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 he's been very up or down. I, yeah. I think in the Houston game, he had for what is for him one of his better games. Great game, yeah. Um, for him, yeah. <laughs> let's qualify that. And yeah, then yeah. against Cincinnati, he was kind of the Baji out on the wing that we all uh, get frustrated by. Yeah, that's that's a big part of what will happen this week, I think, will be uh, the challenge from Mosquera. I think that's a legit competition since they're both in camp here and they're both now healthy, and so those guys are going to go head-to-head for that one spot. Um, and, and other than that, I, I really do think it's the three guys for the two spots in the midfield, uh, the two offensive more of the spots in the midfield between Paxton, Brandon, and uh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I just got to say it. Uh, for as disappointing seasons as Baji and Mascara both have had, I mean, both of them in in my eyes have been really mediocre to poor overall. Why Lucci just wouldn't throw Paxton in at that position. If he doesn't want to, you know, uh, uh, move two people to correct one problem, leave Jesus Mm -hmm. as the 10 or the midfielder, since he's playing so well in that position, why not put Pax out there? We know Pax can play that position. I I don't get why he would try to force another mediocre performance out of two guys that just have giant bags of nothing uh, under their arms. Well, I would agree with you in terms of the concept, but um, I have not witnessed uh, Paxton training in that position at all this year. So, you know, while conceptually you and I would think it sounds like a good idea, if I if I thought that, like, I'd seen Lucci using that, other than he used it late in the game the other day, right. other than that, you know, if, if, if I'd have seen him trying it in practice or trying it in a scrimmage, then I would then I would say, oh, here's something to consider, but I haven't. So that's why I'm less likely to suggest that as an option. Uh, I agree with you that it, I think it's a great option, but you know, you and I aren't coaching, so it's. Uh, <laughs> I just don't think it's likely as much as it, we might like to see it. Yeah, but I, I, all I'm saying is, and this is why I'm not a, a soccer coach or manager, is I'm tr- I'm thinking about I want to get my best eleven on the field, and assuming Brian Acosta is available, and he won't be, and so a lot of this will get mixed up in the fact that they've got to also adjust for the Acosta situation. If Brian Acosta is there when he gets back, and it's the the Seattle game. Um, to me, your best 11 includes Paxton and Jesus and Cervania, who, by the way, is playing probably the best soccer of anybody on the team overall. It's just not the flashiest position. Um, and, and to me, you, you, the, the players that aren't performing for you are these knuckleheads you keep throwing out on the left wing in uh, Baji and Mascara. And so the solution is to put either Jesse out there and let him play that position because we've seen him do it before, or put Pax out there. And if Lucci doesn't do that, there must be some sort of coaching reason that I don't understand. But as a fan, that frustrates the hell out of me. You mean you, you meant Jesus in there, not Jossie? Jesse? Yes, yes, I said Jesse. Yeah. I meant Jesus. I thought maybe you were suggesting oh, we play Lord, Jesse. No, I was God. like, oh, well, talk wow. About a, uh... Talk about somebody else on the roster with a giant <laughs> yeah. shopping bag of nothing right there. Yeah, yeah. well, that's why I was like, holy cow, really? Jesse? No, no, I meant yeah, yeah. Uh, Jesus. Sorry. Jesus, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I agree with you. My, my assumption would be that um, when you've had two guys that have, that have been in that spot for the majority of the time, if all of a sudden you dump both of them and go with – 
somebody else, you, you might be in danger of losing those two guys when you might need them. I don't, I don't know. Care. That's a, I know you don't care, and, I, and I'm and i with you. I actually think it's a terrific idea. I'd love to see Pomichol uh, start out there on the left wing. I think it's tremendous. But, um, you know, I, next time I get a chance, I'll actually ask Lucia. I'll see what he says. I hope, we're, I hope we haven't devolved into worrying about everybody's feelers uh, and uh, putting your best 11 on the field. But again, I'm not, an, uh, I'm not a coach of anything. I'm just a knucklehead uh, on a podcast. So what do I know? Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Jassy is, is another big bag of nothing. Um, the, the amusement of uh, him being omitted from the, the roster on the MLS website was uh, kind of, you know, kind of typified of uh, his his performances and uh and the whole quitting thing so far the, the left wing um the left wing's going to be that problem that's going to take a while right it's it's if it's not the defensive midfield spot it's the nine if it's not the nine it's it's the left wing um you know you'll see you talked about the possibility of moving paxton over there um you know certainly better than putting Paxton on the bench. Uh, you just... I, I always feel like there's kind of a risk of of two players playing too similar a position and, and kind of like just cancelling each other out. Um, you know, like the whole Gerard and Lampard for England deal. Uh, I just want worry about the idea of uh, Paxton, you know, coming in centrally and, and taking away some of those uh, some of those runs from, uh, from Jesus or, or, you know, clogging up those passing lanes there. Uh, I, I don't know. All I know is is that when Paxton finally got on in the Cincinnati game, he got on the field and instantly went on a run uh, deep into the Cincinnati defending half of the field and then chased the ball back to the goalkeeper and then chased the ball back to midfield. And he had covered so much ground in literally less than 60 seconds and, and, and then proceeded to do a lot of really nice things. And I'm like, we got to get this guy back on the field. And I say that in, in inclusion to um, Jesus uh, continuing to really surprise and delight at that position. And as I said a second ago, I still think Brandon Cervania has been the best player on this team now for the last, I don't know, three or four weeks running. And so you can't take those two guys off. Please take Baji off. Don't put Mascara back on. Put Pax on. Just do us all a favor. Yeah, that's this is where I'm not Lucci, but okay. Damn it, Dan, do something about this. I'll try. I'll use my accent to good. Oh, good. Okay. I'm sorry. What were you going to say, Buzz? I was just going to say this. This is one of the first uh, really difficult moments, I think, for Lucci. You know, I mean, this is the first time he's got. I don't get why this is difficult. This seems so obvious to me. You're there every day, though. Isn't it obvious to you, Buzz? I think it's obvious that Paxton can play there and is talented. I don't think it's obvious that you necessarily just drop other guys. You know, I mean, you you have to consider your entire locker room. You have to manage everybody. You can't just abandon players and make them feel like they're not in the mix. You know, you got to keep everybody in competition. Now, I think it's an interesting idea, and I think, you know, you could if if they use Paxson a couple more times off the bench in that capacity, and he looks good. Then it's a point at which you can say to somebody, "Look, look at the, what Paxton does when he comes in for you. Look at the what, how the team changes." Well, then you have some evidence that you can make that change. But just to like, just because you like Paxton better, I'm going to play him anywhere. I mean, that's an academy mentality. Take your best guy and put him. If you got a problem, take your best guy and put him in that spot. 
that's not that's not a pro mentality. Pro mentality is you have a spot you play. This is where it is. Your competition at that spot, and if you outplay that guy, then you play. We're not going to stick somebody else in there. You know, that's that's the way I look at it. All right, it's a man management problem. Well, pending how things roll out in Chicago, which I mean, obviously Paxton, assuming he comes back healthy and is going to start in Chicago, just simply because Acosta isn't there and that's an extra body, I would assume he starts. But I'm telling you, if they go to Seattle and Paxton doesn't start and Baji or Mascara does, I'm I, 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 I'm I'm going to really question Lucci's thinking process over all of that. Unless, of course, they win like 15 to nothing, and then, of course, he's a hero. Yeah, right. Results matter, right? So that's that's part of it is as hot as the team is, you know, without Paxton, you kind of, it's kind of hard to just immediately say he deserves to start again when the guys are out playing him, frankly. Yeah. Well, at least I'm not uh, bitching about Andrezic anymore, right? Yeah. you know, he's a superstar. <laughs> he, well, he's, he's far from a superstar, but I there's actually something I wanted to talk about that I witnessed in training today. Um, and it's related to the idea of confidence because <laughs> wait, hold on a second. Did you guys yeah. did you guys see the incident where he had to change his shorts? Yeah. So, am I wrong or was he going commando? I I didn't see the actual shot of him changing his shorts because was there was this mad scuttle to uh, get some towels up to shield him from the rest of the stands. Um. But it wasn't a big towel, and I'm not 100% convinced he w- wasn't commando when he changed his shorts. He might have been. I didn't see it. <laughs> and there were some people tweeting about him dropping trow in front of 17,000 or, you know, 12,000 people, whatever the number was, uh, yeah. from people from the other side of the stands that maybe had a better uh, view of it than I did. I didn't know if you guys heard anything about that or not. Now, maybe he was in jockstrap only. That might have been the look for Cobra. Yeah, he is European. Yeah, yeah. Banana hammock. All right. Sorry, yeah. Buzz. I didn't mean to interrupt yeah. your observation with no my observation. Uh, yeah. It's uh what I wanted to say was that um even just from the last month, the the guy that I'm seeing uh, that I saw in training today on Dressic is completely different than the guy I was seeing a month ago. Um it's related to obviously confidence, you know, that he's he finally the first thing was is he finally adapted to Lucci ball and did what he, Lucci asked him to do. And that's what got him playing time. And now he's produced, right? So he's feeling good about himself. He's feeling like a starter. His, his, the entire way he carries himself, carried himself today, completely different from what it was a month ago. Now he's out there. He almost has a presence about himself. Now, all of a sudden he sort of commands attention and he's directing the group he's with, and he's demanding better play from them. And he's, to be honest, he's getting to balls that he never got to before. He's scoring and shooting chances that he never has scored and finished before. It's like a completely different player. It's hmm. you know I, I was blown away. I'm like, who is this guy? And what have you done with the snake? Because this is Cobra, not Snake. So I'm gonna, I'll you know he still has deficiencies in his game, but he's beaten defenders to the balls right and left, which he didn't always do before. He was finishing like crazy, and he was blasting goals from you know top of the box, which he doesn't do. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And is and I even asked Lucci about it, and he said, you know, it's amazing what confidence does for a guy. You're looking at a guy that's taking on the leadership aspect, and the team's feeding off of it. So as long as he keeps producing, he's going to keep playing. It's it's a true axiom for any any discipline, whether it be sport. Uh, or uh, anything else in the world, 
confidence really is a number one driver of success, and, and we've seen that time and time again, right, Dan? Absolutely, and particularly, you know, a striker, that, that is a confidence position. If you don't think you're going to score, you're not going to score. If you don't think you're getting to the ball first, you're not. I mean, you know, you can play you can play attacking mid-pissed off, you can play defense with... Uh, with an axe to grind, you can you can play anywhere else, but striker, it's it's all you know it's the most mental position on the field. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the schedule coming up because there are just a handful of games left. The twenty nineteen season uh, is about to get into that weird dead sprint and where the stuff gets really serious. That's why they play through the international break. I said that sarcastically, by the way. Yeah. So uh, Dallas uh, goes to Chicago, goes to Seattle, um, and then they have New York City FC at home, and then they go to Colorado uh, and then end the season against Kansas City. By the way, they have beaten all of the remaining teams they have left, with the exception of Chicago and New York, who they have yet to play. Uh, but those are uh, New York in particular uh, is probably the best team on remaining on the schedule. Although the road the, the uh, road game to Seattle uh, in a uh, couple of weeks is probably the hardest game they've got left on the schedule. Yeah, thankfully they're getting New York at home. I mean, the home record for Dallas or for anybody at MLS is really strong, but Dallas's home record is particularly good. The Seattle road game is a place they've won once. I think in what twenty tries. I mean, that's yeah, that's ridiculous. Terrible. I mean, the, the Fire is a beatable team even on the road. Colorado's beatable on the road, and, and Sporting is beatable at home. So, um, you know, it's whether you can get anything at Seattle and can you beat New York at home. That may be the deciding factors and whether you're getting in or not. Because just just six points isn't going to do it. I don't think. I think you need more like seven or eight to get in. Dan, the table in the Western Conference is uh, stuff like sardines. Second place is forty six points with the Sounders. And uh, let's see, eighth place is just six points lower with the Timbers with 40 points. And apparent, you know, uh, by the end of uh, next week, everybody will have played the equal amount of games. Yeah, um, it'll, it'll be interesting uh, here in Dallas to see how everything comes out without the uh, without everyone having that game in hand. Because uh, you know, unless people get three points out of it, it really doesn't matter. Um, I know 358 is still saying that Dallas finishes just outside. Um, it's going to be kind of interesting to see um, you know, what really comes of it. We're going to have uh, Seattle play in um, Colorado with uh, missing 10 players and their assistant coach. Uh, you know, something that you would really consider a, a, a gimme three points for Seattle more often than not. Uh, this this international break and, and Dallas sitting out could really be uh, very advantageous for him. Yeah, one of the more interesting notes about the upcoming remainder part of the schedule league-wide uh, related to Dallas are two games that won't involve them but will directly affect them. Portland and Kansas City still have to play each other twice, home and away. Uh, that is actually coming up after the – I don't know when the Portland – the first game is. It's uh, It's both those teams' next game. And then the next-to-last game for both teams uh, is uh, that uh, matchup 
at Kansas City. And then, of course, Dallas finishes the season against Kansas City. That, I think, in particular will be a pretty interesting one. I continue to believe RSL, which is an odd, interesting team in itself, has a, a, a mixed bag. They've got San Jose, Minnesota, uh, excuse me, uh, San Jose at Minnesota, at New England. Then they have the Galaxy, Houston, and at Vancouver to close the season. And with the same amount of points and a game in hand, that is, as I said a couple weeks ago, I still think that's a team Dallas really needs to hope doesn't find their form uh, in these last five or six weeks. A couple of Portland sporting one-one draws would be good. <laughs> Those teams tie each other a little bit. That'd be nice. Yeah, for uh, an early Christmas present. That would yeah, be great. I actually asked Lucci today about why Dallas uh, is off this weekend, and it, this is an interesting story. I, I think it's interesting. It turns out that uh, right about this time, right now, in fact, the league goes to the team's leadership about next season and about the international windows and stuff like that. And Lucci said specifically that. Uh, this season that we're currently in, there were three ones, three international windows that they had a choice to play in. And if you choose not to play in the international window, you get an added Wednesday game. That's basically the trade-off. So Dallas chose to, uh, I believe is what he said, chose to play the first two and then asked for this one to not play. And so they had one of their midweek games they had earlier. So the reason that they don't have a game this weekend and the reason they're not going to play depleted is because the leadership a year ago today basically decided that they wanted to have this window. So that would be probably a combination of Muzi and uh, if Clavio was still involved at that point and Oscar perhaps was involved in that point. So um, a little foresight on their part. And in a week when Dallas is missing, you know, 12 first-team players are missing today, uh, it's, a, it's a good time to not have to play. So good forethought, actually. Yeah, and uh, for anybody who hasn't been paying attention, Seattle has a game coming up also on, I think, Saturday against Colorado. And I was listening to something, and they were listing off. I mean, they're going to have to call up a maximum number of hardship call-ups from the Defiant to fill out a roster for that game against Colorado because they're so depleted from national team call-ups and injuries. And this is a makeup game, by the way, from the snow game that got canceled earlier in the year in Colorado. So uh, Dallas also uh, gets an advantage in Seattle, uh, gets screwed a little bit playing on, uh, on the international break at a low point. Um, all right, so that game, by the way, Dallas does not play again until the 14th, Saturday the 14th. Oh, boy, look, it's a Saturday afternoon game right in the middle of the kick around, 2.30 p.m., and it is on Univision, uh, Joy of Joy. So uh, Dallas versus Chicago uh, on that game uh, coming up uh, a week from Saturday. Uh, and I'll be there. Are you going to the game, really? Uh, yeah, I'm taking Brimstone Cup. Oh, Excellent. Mm. Uh, you know, what will happen to Brim, the Brimstone Cup if Chicago successfully rebrands? Will they just uh, sunset the Brimstone Cup? Has there been any conversations about that? Um, I haven't heard anything, but FC Dallas rebranded, and it's still there. Oh, that's true. Didn't think about that. I thought what I heard the latest was that they have decided not to rebrand. They're going to stick with the fire, but maybe oh. I'm... I hadn't heard anything heard, one way or the other. I just know they're going to yeah. go play in that stupid football stadium and uh, yeah. uh, whatever. All right. Um, yeah. So let's move on to the academies. Uh, the kids are back at it, Buzz, and uh, you got a chance to catch up with some of that action. Yeah, I took in the 19s and the 17s um, on their opening weekend against Houston Dynamo. Um, they played Dynamo top to bottom. This is, um, if you're into the academy, this was a weird one because a couple of the games are this new, we're technically part of the new 
DA Cup. Uh, I, what the distinction is, I'm not entirely clear. Um, but, you know, they played Houston Dynamo up and down the age brackets. And um, the 19s are pretty good. Uh, they got a bunch of talent. Tanner Tessman looked ridiculous slinging around 50-yard passes. That does uh, seem scored. a little bit unfair, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, you know, any of the guys that have played for North Texas were heads and shoulders above that game. You know, the, the training with USL 1 and playing at that level has clearly elevated them. Tanner, in particular, was ridiculous. It, it reminds me exactly what Thomas Roberts last year when he played in the 19s looked ridiculous. Thomas Roberts. Thomas Roberts. Yeah, I mean, he was just, just you know, multiple 50-yard passes on a dime. Just fantastic. Um a, a, a new striker that I have not seen much before named uh, Malik Henry Scott, who's a tremendous athlete, lots of body control, really like the look of him. Um, a kid in the middle, Cesar Garcia, who actually has had U.S. call-ups before for the Youth International. But I'd not, I'd only, I had some positive thinking about him, but I didn't really consider him like a difference maker. And he looked great in this game. Um, Diego Latef, who I love, you know, I, Nico Carrell was already gone. Pepe was already gone. Uh, Jonathan Gomez played up with the 19s. So the 19s look amazing. The 17s, not so much. That team is in uh, brand new. They had a bunch of dudes left and a bunch of guys have come in. They kind of got beat up in the, down in Mexico. Um, you know, it's it, that's a work in progress. I'm going to give those guys a lot of benefit of the doubt as they try and build this team and get this team playing. Uh, you know, they're, they're not going to have a great season. That's the first time I've seen a team from Houston Dynamo outplay an FC Dallas team. I've never seen that before in the first half. Uh, but, you know, they made some changes, FC Dallas did, partway through, and it got better. And then when Houston made some changes, then Dallas took over the game. So the work in progress from the 17s is going to take a lot, and we'll see over the course of this year if any of those guys put themselves into a conversation as potential pros. But uh, right now it's not – not great. So that's that's our early, early, early DA 2019-2020 seasons for those two teams. How long do you think it's going to take uh, for the fact that, you know, by and large, Dallas is playing everybody up in age group uh, because of North Texas and that kind of waterfall effect of how everybody got a promotion because of the insertion of the new team uh, at yeah. the top of it? How long do you think that's going to take to shake out um, obviously the 19s uh, are going to be okay, but you talk about the 17s and mm-hmm. we and we didn't even get into the 16s or what all the other groups below that. How long is that going to shake out before everybody's as good as the 19s are? Well, um, the, the way it's kind of working so far is that they do take um, 19s up to the North Texas and they do take, actually there's only one 17 coming up. Um, they, kind of, they kind of so far are doing a deal where they take them if the team that the DA is playing is not any good, then they take those guys up because they don't need them. So they because they win anyway. And then when they when the team is good, they take them back down. And they use them, and you get Tanner being you know playoff MVP and stuff. You know, um, so there's a balance that they're working there, and it's gonna we'll have to see how this new structure of the DA goes, where they've made these two tiers to try and uh, give the best teams better teams to play against. So there's the Dallas teams are still going to be pretty good because of the fact they move guys up down up down up down constantly, um, but you know for the in the end the goal is player progression. So um, they already in the past have always played guys up and they're going to continue to do that. Like for example with this U17 team, if it continues to struggle, they'll start moving guys up from the U15 team because the 16 and the 17s is a single bracket. So the 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 2005s which is the U15s that's Peter Lucine's old team. Those kids are phenomenal talents. 
So they may start moving some of those guys up to try and bring up the level of the U-17s if it's not coming together over the course of the season. So uh, Dallas is so talented that I don't think it's actually going to make that much of a difference if this waterfall effect has started to happen. I think they're still going to be one of the best two teams in their conference, except for maybe the 17s. Yeah, um, I, I, I wonder how uh, aware the average fan of this club is about how far back into the age groups Dallas... I mean, it's not like Dallas is talented at the Paxton Pomacall, Thomas Roberts, Tanner Tessman level. It, it literally extends back... Uh, three and four other age groups back to like early teenagers where there's guys, these, these kids, literal kids playing on these, you know, U15, 14, whatever you want to call it, age groups that you look at and go, holy cow, this team just has a factory line of talent coming up to the top for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, the U15s just went to play in that tournament in Bayern Munich, and they played against Bayern, they played against Juventus, they played against uh, Hamburg, and the guy from FC Dallas won the tournament best player award, Chris Sanchez. Yeah. So it's like, you know, that's just like when Weston went to the U S and won MVP of tournaments, you know, it's like they're just stacked, you know, not to, to, to hit too hard on the 17s, but that, that gap, there's a little bitty gap right there that they're working on. But other than that, the O fives and the O sixes are both stacked like crazy. I mean, all the way down that what they do is they go out and recruit and they go to a team and, and might, might pick out a team and say, your best player is your nine, right? We want him to come to FC Dallas. And then they make him a right back. And they might go to somebody else and say, your best player is your, your playmaking 10. We're going to take him and we're going to make him a six. So it's like, they, they, they pull all the best talent from, Alabama, from Arkansas, from Monterey, from El Paso, and they bring it in, and their teams are just absolutely stacked. And the fact that they move guys up, you know, they could literally take their whole 19 team and play it in USL 1 and still be in first place, and it wouldn't make a difference. It's the academy's just loaded. So, Dan, I'm interested in your perspective as somebody that grew up in a culture where academies and kids, you know, playing soccer in a, in a, in a professional environment was something that you were exposed to as a fan from day one. I'm interested in your perspective. Uh, you know, are people like Buzz and I just overhyping something uh, because we're naive about it and it's new to us or relatively new to us? Or is there something from your point of view uh, as somebody that came over here from England and you go, wow, that, that that's like seriously legit. I mean, it, it is legit. It's it's exactly what you want an academy to be. You you don't you want players playing up. You want them getting senior opportunities. Um, yeah, uh, I always remember a youth coach telling me um, he 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 went on about you know he had a like stupid high win percentage like ninety percent, and he said, funny thing is right. If I lose a tournament, it doesn't matter because the players are getting experience. If the players go up to the next age group next year, if they go on to first team opportunities, that's my job. I think you know the trophies aren't, and that's that's really it. It's it, you know we watched we all watched the academy playoffs, and it was a little bit disappointing that you know Dallas loses in a final and loses in a semi or quarter final, and then the the girls academy uh, loses in their semi final, but. You know, we're all watching to see the next Paxton, the next Brandon Savania, to find, you know, next year's Ricardo Pepe. Um, you know, that, and that's what Dallas is doing that no other team does. Even looking around uh, USL, you know, Orlando City B and 
and and Toronto FC two aside from Griffin Dorsey with uh, TFC two, you're not seeing really, you know, a, a whole lot of player movement and really taking advantage of the full DA to USL to MLS uh, pathway that you've got. I mean, um, um, FC Dallas spearheads that, and you know, there's a reason that clubs are striving to replicate what FC Dallas is doing in that area. And this hasn't gone uh, much heralded, but a Dallas area soccer player has been signed by Real Madrid. Yeah, it's uh, it's not necessarily like the Western McKinney uh, pathway, but Chiama Ubagagu, um, a, a women's soccer player for, who uh, grew up in Capel, played for Capel High School. Uh, she just left the Orlando Pride and signed for uh, CD Tacon in Spain. That is Real Madrid's new women's team that they just purchased. Uh, they've <laughs> moved them to the uh, Alfredo Di Stefano Stadium, uh, Real Madrid's reserve team stadium. They're pumping money into them. Uh, they've signed some crazy players like uh, Aurelie Cassi, Kosovari uh, Aslani, who's what, 130-odd caps for Sweden, just... Scored at the the last World Cup. Um, Cassie is a four times Champions League winner. Um, they're just kind of signing players left, right, and center, and trying to build uh, the the female Galacticos. Uh, so to see uh, see Chioma signed is is kind of a a cool thing for DFW with the uh, the first ever women's El Clasico coming up on Saturday. That is uh, great news and fascinating. What is her name again? Uh, Chioma Ubagagu. Excellent. All right. Well, good luck to her and congratulations. That is uh, a pretty big deal. And uh, we're recording this on Thursday the 5th. It'll come out later tonight. And this also, unfortunately, is the anniversary of the death of uh, Bobby Ryan, who was the face of this club for a very long time, dating back to its original burn days. Um, uh, there was a great article by Charles Boheim on MLS Soccer Today uh, where he interviewed uh, his uh, widow, uh, uh, Bevan, who's a, <laughs> one of the nicest people you could possibly meet. She's the sweetest thing. And I got to tell you, um, I really enjoyed Charles's article, specifically when he started getting into the part about Jake, his old, uh, you know, Ryan's older, uh, excuse me, um, Bobby's older son, who looks like him, runs like him, plays like him, and the struggle that he's going through and debating and weighing, is he still enjoying playing this game or is he only playing it because he feels like he needs to do that to keep a connection with his dad. And, man, I, that's an, uh, what an emotional story that is, and uh, we all miss that guy so much. Yeah, Bobby uh, and I were friendly, as I'm, I'm often friendly with players. That's not the same as being a friend. But then Bobby went into television, and I worked with him a bunch uh, on FC Dallas games. I occasionally work on FC Dallas games, and I worked with that Bobby a whole bunch. And had many conversations with him about what his dreams were, and, and specifically he uh, his last dreams that he talked to me about were someday uh, calling a games on the world cup. That was his, he had transitioned to broadcasting and wanted, and that was where he was going. And that's where he was excited about. And we talked about broadcasting and I, and I, we became friends and um, you know, every, every day, every time this day rolls around, I always get a little melancholy thinking about him, but um, just honestly, one of the best human beings that I've ever known in my life, phenomenal guy. And uh, this club is worse for not having him around. And as far as I know, 
since he passed away, they have yet to actually get somebody into his old role of like that community liaison, getting out with the community and interacting with fans and, and build, trying to build the brand name. And I wish they would try and get somebody to, to take on what Bobby had taken on himself and, and made like his calling in life to try and build this club and help this club in every way possible. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because in Charles, Bo- Charles Boheim's article, he's interviewing, I think it's Marco Ferruzzi, who makes a comment that uh, along the lines of if, if Bobby was still alive today, I'm 99% sure, and I'm paraphrasing her, I would be working for him. And I read that to believe that maybe, you know, he believes that Bobby would be running the club at this point. And I was trying to recall, was Dan the president of FC Dallas at the time Bobby passed away? I don't think he was. Uh, I don't think he was. He took over after... Um, Doug Quinn. After Quinn, Doug Quinn's uh, departure, I believe, is when Dan took over. So I, that was uh, really that wasn't that long ago. It's only four or five years. Yeah. Now, I think, that Dan has been the president of the team. And, and it's fascinating because Marco says something that I had never thought of before. But you, when you think about it, it totally makes sense there. It, you could totally see Bobby in another universe or a parallel universe being the president of this club, running this club in that position. He would have been perfect and ideal in that in that role. He would have been. He would have been fantastic. That w- that would have been a natural progression for him. You know, he was the face of the franchise. He loved this franchise, you know, just as much as anyone ever loves any team. And he fought and bled for it on and off the field. And they've never replaced what he brought to the table. Yeah, like you, Buzz, uh, I was more of an acquaintance of Bobby's. We were uh, people that knew each other. I, I, I would never uh, claim to be his friend because we never hung out or anything like that. We just knew of each other. And he had come on the radio, the old radio show and things like that. Um, I'll never forget the day, and I'm 90% sure it was you, Buzz, that sent me the message, however we used to communicate eight years ago. I don't remember if it was text or email or phone (laughs) call um, or MySpace. I don't remember what it was, where you sent me the note giving me the heads up that Bobby had died. And it was was, uh, still not announced. Um, and you couldn't tell anybody else, but that was the hot and fast word running around was that he had died while working out or playing in Florida on vacation. Uh, and the announcement was coming through. And I, 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 I was like anybody it was shocking when it happened. Um, I don't know if you remember that as well. Um, but the thing that I take away from that entire experience of Bobby's death and his funeral was this. So the day the funeral happens, there was the uh, event at the church, and then his burial was across the street at Restland uh, by North Park Mall. And um, that experience was was uh, so important to me because there was this insane collection of guys who I thought were people I only kind of knew because they were soccer players playing for my favorite team or had played for my favorite team. And in that hour or so, or a few hours of being in the same environment, Bobby's death suddenly took me from uh, being guys that I admired or, or, or talked about because they were players and I was a fan or in the media to people who I immediately had a connection to. And we bonded in that day, um, at least in that moment, uh, and acted and, and we were all like uh, the closest friends possible in mourning Bobby's passing. And I'll never forget that day for the rest of my life. I remember when I first heard about it, I believe, you know, somebody from the, the, the team texted me, um, 
you know, that, that I knew really well. It wasn't like he was not notifying me as a media. He was notifying me as a friend, um, you know, and, and, as, and somebody that knew Bobby and, and um, as well as, you know, a coworker. But, you know, I, I felt we were close and, um, you know, it was and I and I told you and it was it was not to me. That wasn't a moment of news. It's like it's not that's not like I'm going to do something with that. It was just a moment of like I had to sit down and like take it in. You know, it's it's just uh it, you're right. It's a big loss for the club. And, and, and the way you talk about his funeral just shows you how many people he touched in the community and around SC Dallas and how much he was at that point becoming the franchise in a lot of ways. And, and uh, you know, I, again, I don't think they've ever replaced him adequately and it may not it may be impossible to replace him adequately. He's the only player I know of that when he retired, the fans threw him a retirement party to celebrate his career. You know, and he, he got up there and, at that and cried and was touched and uh, just a remarkable man. And I and I, I miss him all the time. I think about him all the time because of the FC Dallas and because of broadcasting that we did together. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hate to say, I, I mean, I wish he was here, you know, but we have to try and live our lives and go on and, and, and try and make this club better. You know, and we keep fighting and keep working and hoping that uh, our efforts contribute to the cause and, and, and that this team can continue to go places and do things yeah i don't know you know because so many years have passed and and the team has uh uh you know brought on board so many new fans uh people that you know dan for example i don't know how much dan remembers about bobby and um uh and and what and how much how instrumental bobby was with um directly influencing dan and clark's decisions about growing the academy he was such an early um, voice in promoting that concept uh, to the Hunt family and why the club needed to be doing that. Uh, and he was such a big uh, proponent for it. And he was such a good influence of uh, somebody that understood the game from an American standpoint, not from a business standpoint, but from a game standpoint. And he really uh, provided a nice balance uh, to the other forces within the club that were all very more bottom line oriented. And that was a real value that the club, and I've never ever felt like the club has uh, properly handled his passing. They were super clumsy uh, with the Bobby Ryan thing for a long time, uh, ma- they made some really bad um, uh, tone deaf mistakes in hand and how they handled his passing and with signage around the stadium and things like that. I think they've gotten better about it uh, more recently, but I, I, I still feel like the club has never truly um, taken that one most needed step to really embrace Bobby Ryan as a hero and a legend of this club in the way that you probably would see other clubs in Europe or other places for somebody that was so important to the team. Well, let's give Paxton Pomico a little credit here. I think his desire to wear Bobby's number and that whole bringing the jersey out of uh, semi-retirement actually is going to go a long way to helping celebrate Bobby's legacy. You know, I mean, even just the way Paxton talks about Bobby just shows you that uh, the kind of impact Bobby had on people, even without, even just as a player, people watching him and watching the way he handled himself, you know? And yeah. So I, and, and I'm so glad you brought that up because that's what, you know, the day that happened and the day that we saw that interview with Paxton going, that just is totally who I wanted to be. And that totally made sense for me to ask to wear his number. You, that's the kind of things that create club legends. We've mentioned that before that Paxton has some of Bobby's game in him, that relentless, 
never stop motor that Paxton has and that ability, that willingness and the ability to just go and doggedness and never give up mentality. That's Bobby. And that's where Paxton got that. I think, you know, credit to Paxton too. I'm sure he has it in himself, but to take that from Bobby and apply it. And, and we talk, that's the way we describe it is that Ryan type aspect to his game. I think that says wonders about the kid and it says wonders about Bobby too. Yeah. We'll say, um, you know, as as Peter mentioned, you know, I, I hadn't moved to the US uh, at the time uh, Bobby passed. But, you know, the fans um, hold him in such high regard that, you know, from the TIFOs to the the jerseys in the beer garden that still say 19 forever our voice, forever a legend, things like that, um, to sing in Bobby, Bobby, Bobby in the 19th minute of every game, it's it's very... It doesn't take long to see what he meant to to the fans. I mean, the Brimstone Cup wouldn't be a thing today without him because as a competition, it's a rivalry. It's something that's really fallen by the wayside. It's it's really been kept alive by his statements that it was his favourite cup to play for. Um, You know, and then even looking at, at Paxton as well, um, you know, I was lucky enough to be there that day when uh, when he was presented by by Bevan and the kids with the uh, the nineteen jersey and speaking to him and speaking to to, to Bevan, speaking to to Oscar Pereira after they all said the same. You know that his his game is very similar. His the things that that matter most to him, his values are, are all very similar, and and that was you know a, a, a large part of what what played into the decision of of. Of, of honoring Bobby in that way and, and starting that new tradition. Yeah, I got to see him play for a few minutes in the Dallas Cup, and uh, when they say that he runs like his dad and looks like his dad, it <laughs> that's not even close to an exaggeration. It is uh, hauntingly eerie to see Jake running around on the field wearing number 19 because he looks like a miniature version of Bobby. Uh, it's really, really cool. And I'm telling you, if you haven't read it, go read Charles Boheim's article on MLS Soccer about Bobby. It's up there today. Uh, and, and go for the remembrances of Bobby's, but stay for the whole section of the article that talks about Jake and Jake trying to figure out if he really wants to do this and Bevan as a mother trying to weigh all of that. It's such a fantastic read, and I can't recommend it highly enough. And I hope Jake, if, you, if, you, if, there's, any, if there's any chance in hell Jake is listening to the podcast, podcast i really hope he does what he wants to do and doesn't feel any pressure from the fan base or anybody else to try to do something that he doesn't want to do anymore uh but if he does continue to play man wouldn't it just be the best story ever to see him actually play for the senior team someday that would just be the sweetest ending to the story ever i don't know if you saw but uh charlie actually had some uh some extra quotes that didn't fit into the story from bevan and it, uh, it related to you know, dealing with uh, kids playing soccer as a parent and the pressure on on Jake. Um, I know, you know, uh, his brother Miller last year was, uh, well, you know, the last couple of years had been playing in the FC Dallas youth teams. Um, you know, he liked basketball a little more, so he's uh, so soccer's kind of, you know, fallen by the wayside for him and, and that same pressure with, uh, with Jake as to whether, you know, he's playing for himself or for his father. Um, Definitely, if if you uh, check out Charlie's Twitter, I don't have it in front of me, but it's just gonna be his name. Um, you know, there's a few a few tweets that give those uh, those extra quotes and some thoughts on it. 
Yeah, I'm sure Buzz can retweet those uh, on the Third Degree account. And let yep. me also uh, complete this by saying there's nobody I trust more uh, to give that kid guidance than Bevan. Bevan is one of the coolest human beings you will ever meet, uh, and I'm sure she's, like, the most world-class mom as well. So uh, Jake's in great hands uh, no matter what direction any of that uh, goes and how the story ends, no doubt about it. Well said. All right, uh, so good guys are on a victory uh, streak. They've won two in a row, the two that we said they needed to win. I'm going to close this by asking you guys a question that I asked uh, everybody, I'd say, probably three or four weeks ago, uh, and we all said no. We didn't think this was going to happen, but I'm going to ask again and see if everybody's attitude has changed. With five games to go, does... Let me put it this way. With five games to go... Do the Huntsmen make the playoff? Dan? I said yes at the time, and I'm still saying yes. I don't think you did. I think you changed your vote. I've said they'll get sixth place since the start of the season mm, because the Western that. Conference is kind of crappy at the bottom end. Maybe I was so staunchly not believing you at the time, I have chosen <laughs> to forget that's what your answer was, but I will say okay. So you're saying you're still saying sixth place, huh? I'm kind of leaning more towards seventh, but I mean, right now, second's a possibility if with they, the uh, the way they are. If they don't go into the playoffs, will you shave your hair into a mohawk next season? No, I don't have enough hair for that. Okay. Buzz, where do you stand on this now? Uh, I'm going to say in. They're going to win. They're going to beat Portland. Not Portland. Beat Sporting the last game of the season, and that's going to give them just enough points to get in. Excellent. Okay. Well, I'm going to stick with my preseason prediction that they just miss out on the playoffs in eighth place. Um, other factors will uh, uh, get in their way, unfortunately, and they'll end up the season in eighth place and not make the playoffs. Surprise, surprise. You don't believe in the Cobra. <laughs> no, Dan, I do not yet believe in the Cobra. I need more than <laughs> four goals uh, to believe in the Cobra. <laughs> I need him to uh, finish the easy ones and stop finishing the hard ones. If he just finish a few of the easy ones, he doesn't have to finish all of them, just a few of them. I would feel a lot better about the Cobra. But I will say this. There have been two articles by Armikafai interviewing Andrezik, and they have done those two articles alone with the quotes that he has gotten from Andrezik have done more to change my attitude about that guy than anything else not from what he's done on the field but his willingness to uh be honest and open about what's happened how it's happened and where he feels like he's at uh so kudos to armin for getting those quotes but bigger kudos for to andrezik for at least being uh kind of a, a stand-up guy about this whole process yeah, he's, he's been pre pretty open about it. I mean, he's taken coaching, he's adapted his game, and he's been willing to admit he hasn't been good enough a lot of times. But, you know, like I said, he, in training today, it was, it's his different cat now. He's super confident, he's feeling good, and he's a big part of what's going right. It's kind of funny. We, we get to see a little bit of a different side of, of some of the players. And, you know, we, we do root for guys like Andrasek and Coleman. You know, good guys who work hard and they're the type of players you want. You just wish that they could put it all together. And, you know, if if he's scoring, that's at least the part he needs to put together right now. Maybe I need to be super ballsy and make a bet that if uh, Andrezik scores the winning goal in MLS Cup 2019 or even 2020, I'll get a Cobra tattoo. Wow. 
Now, I'm not saying I'm not saying I will absolutely do that. I'm saying maybe I should consider doing that. Sounds like yeah. a show bet for the kick around. Yeah, yeah but you said it on record. Uh, I, no, I'm still saying I'm qualified. See, here's the problem. I don't have any <laughs> tattoos oh. be, uh, because my mom has told me all my life, if I ever get a tattoo while she's alive, she'd kill me. So well, my mom's strong, uh, and, yeah. my, and my mom's still alive. So thankfully, yeah. bless her soul. Um, so I'm I'm in a bit of a quandary over. Uh, we'll, we'll figure out something. We'll figure something out, right? Maybe you can go with a shaved head mohawk. Yeah, I, yeah. Maybe, maybe I you could it. shave a cobra into your hair. <laughs> like you, Dan, I'm short on the hair. Well, maybe I could shave it into my uh, the uh, uh, bathroom mat growing above my butt uh, for the last de- decade. I could <laughs> shave it into there. How about that? Yeah. Like a tramp stamp kind of thing. There you go. Full back tattoo. All right. Uh, bless you, Bobby. We miss you desperately. Uh, blessings to his family. because Those are great people, and we wish them the very best. All right. So uh, we will hopefully things will go well for the national team, and we'll have a bunch of cool stuff to talk about. Uh, Dan, thank you for your participation in today's episode. Buzz, thank you as always. And thank you, good FC Dallas Curious fan. We will talk to you next time on the next edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Mm-hmm.